Hi, and happy Friday the 13th. We are already on our second recording because mysteriously something happened and the entire screen blanked out. So let's cross our fingers that we can complete the show because we have a lot of really good stuff to say. In case you don't know where you are, <laughs> yeah, because it's Friday the 13th, you're at Agile World Better English. Agile World was created by Sabrina Bruce and Carl Smith to focus on agility within a global community. And Steve and I are the newest addition to the Agile World family. I'm Cynthia Kahn, founder of GSD Mindset, and my co-host Steve, we're both really passionate about Agile. Yes. Through this podcast, we plan to share experiences like those of our esteemed guests of how others apply Agile principles to become successful so you too can apply those principles and achieve everything you really, really want. Sound good? Let's get going. Hey, Steve, what's going on? Hi, Cynthia. Thank you. And welcome to Agile World. <laughs> Hey, so um, we're here with David Bulkin and Arlen Bankston to talk about nightmarish user stories and how that happens. And is, I've known Arlen for, I don't know, a decade or, or so, and, and David, we're just getting to know each other. But Arlen, when, when you mentioned nightmare stories, I immediately thought of, of the nightmare before Christmas, and I am picturing you as the, the Halloween king. You're always going to be that guy. It's so, Jack, that, right? Yeah, you, Jack. Jack. exactly. You're going to be Jack. In my mind, you're always going to be Jack from here on out. But anyway, so um, that's probably not the best introduction for you. And you probably want to say something else about it. yourself. So, Well, Arlen Banks and so uh, and have just joined uh, David in our enterprise at Brolin. Uh, I'm basically a longtime agilist in the community, 21 years. Uh, came from kind of a product background originally and design background. And it's uh, conveniently enough since that's part of our story today. Talking about these nightmare stories. Uh, this is really arriving from our experiences, right? We've worked with a lot of clients and uh, consulting, coaching capacities, and then we've, each of us has trained umpteen thousands of, of folks as uh, Scrum Alliance trainers and in other, other fields as well. And uh, you just see a lot of anti-patterns that are very commonplace here. So we're going to be trying to tell you a little bit about that. I'm sure some of these will resonate with many of you on the horn here. And uh, of course, also perhaps give you a few suggestions about how to avoid them. So David, what, what makes a nightmarish user story? All right, some nightmarish stories could be stories that are fixated too much on the specifications. So there's no latitude for learning. A nightmarish story might be a story that is kind of dropped off with no context, right? So maybe you have a separate intake team and they kind of just write stuff up and force it on you, right? A nightmarish story might have way too many details. And once again, not enough latitude. Nightmare story situation, maybe there's no collaboration. These are all kind of related to each other, right? Nightmare story, maybe you're force-fitting to the as a I want to, so that format, and that may not always be the best format. So those are a few things. Like Arlen, by the way, also about 21 years experience. And I would say it's, the nightmares are getting worse. When I started my agile journey, <laughs> We believed in deep collaboration and very concise stories, right? And over the years, what I've seen is really uh, bigger, bigger stories, more and more handoffs. Amen, when, brother. So yeah. when you say bigger, bigger stories, you're talking like 
that's an epic and you can't complete that within a sprint because I have, I've had people argue with that. Can't pre-broker that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it could be <laughs> big from the context it's going to take too long, but also big in the level of detail. Not, not, not everyone falls prey to this, but I guess what I'd say is the big picture is it's measuring to outcome that we should be doing, not measuring to the output, right? And what we do see is a lot of people are very concerned about getting every detail in, so you build exactly what was planned. What we propose is perhaps building what you planned is not always the best answer. It's building what provides the most value. Value is often discovered, not known a priori. And just to glom onto that, it's I think one of the problems is that the value often isn't really discovered by the people who need to be discovering it. <laughs> that is, ideally, the, these learning loops and agile teams are meant to be had by the teams, right? Uh, we build something, we put it out there, we see what happens, and we know we've reached the outcome or we haven't, or we've you know, probably reached it to some degree, but see ways to even further optimize things, let's say. Uh, the way most organizations are set up, the hierarchies of them, the way they split the teams, the way they split the backlogs, and a number of other factors lead that they lead to this disconnect fundamentally right where teams build things which they never ever see used in practice they've never met a customer in their lives they don't have a clue about the business domain and they're waiting on somebody else to supply those answers and i think that's really that that's at the crux of it right there is this disconnect between the team and the things you're trying to accomplish right i so love I get, that I I never two, met a customer before I got, I got two, yeah, and then questions. Steve, you got something yeah so first you said out out puts versus outcomes. So one, I want to dig into that just for a minute, because I think, I think that, I think we can dig ourselves out of a grave if we start focusing more on the outcomes. All right. And then, so, so go to that. And then, then I want to hear an, an example of, 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 right, one so of outcomes is what you want to achieve. You want to make something easier or better for someone, right? So if we're a training company, we do a lot of training, we do a lot of coaching consulting. One of the things we want to make it easier for people to register. If they did register, we want to make it easier for them to get all the information they need to show up at the class, do all the pre-reads, et cetera. Those are outcomes. The output would be say, oh, build this screen with this field here and that field there. The way I look at it, if you do take the time to define it to that level of detail, that's your guide. But that's not your destination. Your destination is, did we achieve that positive outcome? Now, what Arlen talked about is that disconnect. If there's no connection with people with the business, no connection with the actual end user community, then what are they gonna do? They're gonna just build to the specification. They don't know any better. But ideally the building of, let's say your software is slightly integrated to the change in your business process. They're one and the same, right? What do we need to do to achieve a quality outcome? Might be changing some software, might be changing some business process, might be changing both. And I think Arlen has some examples around that. Yeah, one, one of the uh, more interesting projects we worked on some years back was for uh, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, or USCIS, and they were helmed by this uh, rather well-known gentleman in the community these days. Uh, uh, Mark Schwartz was his name, and he's over at Amazon Web Services these days. Uh, but, you know, Mark, being a very philosophical type, he didn't really like the idea of just kind of going by the book and doing things as everyone did it. And as such, he ended up crafting this interesting model for this project. Uh, briefly speaking, the project was called E-Verify. It was about basically businesses uh, signing up to uh, make sure that their employees were legal to work in the U.S., okay? And they were foreseeing a dramatic uptick in, in how many people or how many businesses would need to do this. So he created a, a very elegant three-part model. He called it the Product Budget Objectives Model. 
And I think uh, it was really a reaction to these anti-patterns we're talking about and, and beautiful in its simplicity. The product bit meant simply that the team included not just technical folks, but business people. Uh, in this case, you know, people who are familiar with immigration policies and all that sort of thing. Uh, directly in the same team, rather than being, if you will, stakeholders who supply things from on high. Uh, there was a budget, of course, passed down by Congress as such things occur in business uh, in government environments. However, they were revisiting how to spend the budget uh, literally every sprint, every two weeks. Uh, the team would come back to this uh, investment committee, essentially, and would say, hey, here is how well we've achieved these business outcomes, but we think we can go further. We recommend you continue investing there. And the, on average, the committee would accept that sort of guidance uh, or, or conversely, right? We've hit kind of this you know, plateau point here. We could spend more energy being our heads against the wall, but look, let's go ahead and switch to another problem. We think that may be a better spend of your uh, resources here. And the best of all, though, is the objectives bit, because literally, and, and I think this is what I think we're suggesting, really, there were five overall business objectives of this. Uh, that is outcomes they were trying to get. And they amounted to uh, having more of the forms process automatically, having more people get through the process, having fewer of them uh, basically having errors in the process, and a couple of other things. And Mark gave those directly to the team. So in other words, there was no backlog. To be crystal clear here, there was no backlog when this project began, and they derived it over time by determining how they could best meet those outcomes. It, David mentioned that outcomes aren't just a you know, going to happen by software alone, but also by maybe changing business processes. So Mark said, go for it, right? A question um, before yeah. you go on. Please. So did they have, they had a group product owner? So they had like a team of product owners, like who was that? If they didn't have a backlog, but somebody was, they were putting something into a sprint. Were they putting store, like just JIT, just in time story writing or, because I just want to make sure that I understand exactly sure, what you're sure. talking about too. They started with, so fundamentally they had a system. Okay, so this was essentially a current state was already self-evident. They more or less reflected that. They reflected it in a big story map. Okay, so you had a bunch of little cards. They literally printed them out from a Excel spreadsheet and they pasted them on a wall to say, here's how things are today. Now let's look at the parts of the process that maybe need the most attention and need the most uh, you know, evolution, let's say. And then they focused on generating real-time news stories to be able to do those sorts of things. Uh, the, actually, the, the story format was not so dissimilar from what you might normally see, except they, they really focused more on, we know what the outcomes are, right? Those are set aside. We know who the users are. Those are also alongside the story map. So the stories themselves could be very succinct, right? They could state them more like direct features. Uh, you know, we need to be able to uh, you know, validate these fields more rapidly and things like that. So they're, they're really getting down to brass tacks when they came to it. To your point of ownership, you could fundamentally think of uh, Mark was something akin to a cheap product owner, though he didn't call himself that. Uh, and there was, in, in fact, a product owner also at the team level there working with them to help pull all this together. But I think, you know, one thing, uh, a longtime friend of mine in the community was Jeff Patton, who's the, the guy who's known for creating story mapping. And I remember attending a presentation of his some years back called the, the product owner's a stupid idea, right? And really what he meant by that was it's a stupid idea to have only one oh, person no. understands what's going on. It's a, a different talk, different talk. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Cynthia's dying here. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm done. I'm back. Are you back, Cynthia? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I almost hey, fell off ahead. my chair, but whatever happened, that must have been a power failure in my body. It must have been. It must have been. <laughs> But yeah, you know, you, so you got this situation where um, you want the whole team to understand stuff. And, and that's really the heart of it. You know, the, the, anything okay. we do to counteract that, and you're going to have them 
you know, kind of waiting for other people to supply the answers. But wait, 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 can't, can't we just have one person write a bunch of stuff and say, this shall do this, and that's how it's going to be, and then start measuring people on how many lines of code they do in a day? You certainly start. Can't we do that? I think I, saw, I think I saw a recent or listen to a recent podcast about how story points aren't that good. You guys know, <laughs> where was that? Where was that again? That know? was that was an agile world hot topic. Ooh. Oh, really? Really? So you guys have something to do with it. Okay. Hey. So counterparts on the other side of the pond did, pond did that one. But yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So so the whole team understood what was going on. Cynthia, you 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 kind of jumped on the fact that the team may not know who the customer is or or it may not have met the customer. So how did they that align with the customer? So, so yeah. So, David, what, what kind of nightmares have you run into and how do you avoid them? Uh, I would say this particular podcast has been one, but I think, <laughs> I think I pass it though. Wait, I'm going to cry. Don't. Hey, uh, we only had two power outages. We only had two power outages <laughs> during this, you know. And, and yes, yes, just because I'm the one with the Zoom account and it was my computer that dropped twice, you know, what, I don't know. What All right, so let's talk about some specifically. Since this is our third time recording, I may have gone over it again. Uh, I think some of the, the, some of the biggest nightmares is just the fact that we're seeing like these new intake teams that just separate from the people building as Arnold's talked about multiple times. Uh, I think the, I'll say it again, that over overemphasis on stories. Let me talk about what a story I think is good for Story is good for starting that conversation. It is good for sequencing and prioritization. It is good for tracking. But the user story format, as most people follow it, does not create an in-depth discussion or understanding. So if we were to do some BDD together, some behavior-driven development, create some test cases, that could generate some deep understanding. We could also just write like a black and white scenario, right? Something like uh, very, very explicit. So if you're building a thing to find food trucks, I'm at 20 foot market street in Philadelphia. I want a Korean taco. It's black and white. I understand exactly what that capability is trying to do. It's not abstract. Uh, so I would say, maybe if I was going to say one of the, one of the worst things that happened now to communities is over fixation as I want to show that in stories. Now, Ken Beck was my coach way back when, and he developed the concept of stories, but the way that he talked about it certainly was different than the way it's being applied today. Right. So to me, that's a nightmare. It's an easily avoided nightmare, by the way. Collaborate more, document less, and use more test cases, use more scenarios instead of relying on the story. So do you think yeah. that that's related? To, I'm sorry, Steve. Do you think that that's related to the fact that, and we had talked about this when we were down, but that the Scrum Guide starts with a back, assumes you have a backlog and you know what that means. And it doesn't even really talk about what it talks a little bit, but it glosses over a lot of this. Oh, here's something I'm going to say thing about the Scrum Guide, actually. I love the Scrum Guide, by the way. I the, the new version. I'm not da- dissing the Scrum but, Guide. I'm just saying but, that. But. Tell me how much the Scrum Guide talks about work. Well, it's- there's not a single line in there that talks about the actual work. Everything talks about an event. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So what I'm That's saying right. is the fixation becomes on these events and creation of things. Now, to its credit, the Scrum Guide just says a list of product backlog. It doesn't get very details about it, which is good. But what it doesn't talk about is the collaborative work patterns at all. So people read it and they're going to fixate on essentially, in this, in this case, in like sprint planning, just like divvy out work to the team, right? Because they don't talk about the collaborative work patterns. So there's another, another nightmare that correlates obviously deeply with requirements, but the Scrum Guide in general. And as I said, I love the Scrum Guide, great document. 
I'll, I'll mention one other thing about the Scrum Guide since we're there. Uh, the latest update, of course, introduced the idea of the product goal, right? They've always had what they call a sprint goal. And uh, I don't think it explicitly infers that you got a, a whole backlog up front, right? Really, the idea is you're meant to derive it from the product goal, right? Say, here's what we want, and here mm -hmm. we have a starting backlog, and then we revisit it. So I think, you know, a lot of the, these anti-patterns we're talking about, it has a lot to do with a few factors, right? It has to do with essentially ownership, like who owns what? And if I own the epics and you own the features and she owns right. the stories, then we got a, we got a potential problem here. And again, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a tragedy. We could collaborate a whole lot day by day and we know each other's minds and we simply are collecting our knowledge and, and pulling it into a plan and that could be fine, right? A BDD and so on that David mentioned or means to that end. Uh, but oftentimes, since you have people who are accustomed to more, if you will, handoffs, right? A handoff culture of I do something and then I give it to you and you do your bit, then you don't get the collaboration, right? So you end up having people, back to the original point, disconnected utterly from the outcomes they're meant to drive. Because one person decides what the problem is and the solution to some degree, and then the team is just pushing things out there. Not, you're not closing the loop, right? The, to be able to see what actually happens. Right. So I, I, I love that point. Now, now, David and Arlen, you guys have both been doing this for 20 years or, or, or pretty damn close. Not, not, not to call you guys old. Let's be clear. I started when I was 10. Yeah. This case, but, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, David, I'm when you were there. nine years old working with Kent Beck and going through this whole process, now you, you said th things were applied differently then than they are being applied now. So what happened when you were going through your journey you know, the, these, these last 20 years from the time you, you were nine and then hit puberty. And now, you know, we're talking to you. So <laughs> what happened? Where, where did the nightmare start? What, what, what was that moment like? Well, I think if we talk about the way that most teams did in the early 2000s, there's greater levels of collaboration, smaller teams, and just simpler approaches, right? We didn't overcomplicate it. Mm -hmm. uh, also, I know we fixated a lot. The first thing I remember Kent Beck showed me was how to essentially do what you call BDD or behavior driven development or ATDD, acceptance system development. And I remember at the time, I didn't even know what a wiki was. And he said, this is your test case. It took me, it took me a full day to actually comprehend it, but it said outside in development. And Beck is the guy who created the concept of stories, but even he was smart enough to know that not to be on end all, right? Once again, they generate the conversation. So in my journey, that's the way I worked. And it wasn't until maybe I left, I was at JP Morgan Chase in e-banking. So I left and worked with other organizations. I started seeing the nightmares, right? <laughs> and I, I think we know what they are. I mean, Arlen, we've already talked about them over and over. The anti-patterns of the separate people, the anti-patterns of the overfixation on some user story format. I mean, maybe when we didn't, we talked about briefly the epic feature story decomposition. The anti-pattern is everyone thinks uh, I use Jira and I have stand-ups, I'm agile. And once again, Jira is a great tool, just like we're talking about Scrum Guides and Negatives. Love Jira. It's a fantastic tool. But the anti pattern is relying on it too much. In fact, you should almost imagine, like Steve, you have that power adage and Jira goes down. What do you have to do? <laughs> so what I'd say is the old teams, maybe since we didn't have all those tools, we did what you do today if the power went down. You would talk to each other. Mm -hmm. So it's really that simple. The deep collaboration patterns. And then you should be talking and working with people. The business people need to be part of the team. So certainly XP days, we have the concept of the on-site customer. And that person was deeply involved in the business and they spent half of each day there. We didn't want them to spend the full day because that meant they weren't business people anymore. They spent half good. a day, the other half a day is doing business stuff. So an actual business person, but they're there every day. So that means you're no more than four hours away from deep feedback. 
That's your worst case scenario against the business. Worst case scenario is four hours away. Think about an organization that maybe has a PI planning event. They're going to plan that three months and they might spend six weeks getting ready for that PI planning event. So do the math. How many weeks are they removed from the actual idea being generated? So that's right. what you're there. And, okay. and I think, I, you know, to, to play onto that, uh, what David just mentioned, PI planning, program increment planning is part of SAFE, right? The scale digital framework. And uh, not, not to call out SAFE as such, but I think actually just more generally, the proliferation of specific frameworks, right? Has to some degree led to this mechanization of, of the approach, right? There, there are a lot of folks who were never comfortable with the, well, quite frankly, anarchist tendencies of, of the manifesto authors, right? Many of them, <laughs> at least. That, that, they, they weren't, you know, they weren't shy about saying that, that they were really looking to, uh, if, if not eliminate, certainly uh, deprecate the role of management quite thoroughly, right? And, and, and try to really reduce it so to give the teams more authority. And this led to a bit of backlash. And I think, though, that there's no question that Agile is no longer some fringe theory and it's being adopted by lots of big companies and governments all over the world. And, you know, of course, a lot of these companies are a little less comfortable with that very, very dynamic, sort of open, uh, you know, chaotic approach here where. We don't have everything figured out up front necessarily, and we're okay with that because we're using the process to revisit things and deepen our knowledge all the time, right? So it's, we're, we're not trying to be off the cuff. We still want to take the knowledge we have, but not pretend we have knowledge we don't, right? And, and make sure that we're learning as we go. So, so to me, it's that, this agile industrial complex, as they say, as you've gotten all these frameworks and theories, and people want it to be neat and tidy. They want predictability. They need adaptability. Ooh, so I like that. can we say, can we just, this is we're getting, you know, out of time a little bit. We talked about anti-patterns and you kind of mentioned, and you mentioned a bunch of them, like a story's not a spec. We have people who write stories who really aren't involved in the project. It's kind of like the old fashioned BA writing requirements is what I was visualizing what you were saying. We have way too many details, like the stories are too big. Maybe they're even epics. Um, there's not, there's a lack of collaboration. They have this fixed format and people write it, use that format regardless of whether it's appropriate or it has any meaning at all. And the scariest one is that these people never have met a customer. So given all of these anti-patterns, now, is it a posi pattern? Like if you have a positive pattern or a changing pattern. So what would you think? Like if you were going to say, because a lot of people who listen to this show, honestly, they, they don't practice Scrum and software. What would you advise, like, I have to build a backlog, not, I don't want to go through like a whole planning process, but what are some tips and techniques or mindset changes that the two of you have applied that are really simple, that people can understand to avoid the long laundry list of anti-patterns? I'll, I'll give you one very black and white, because we talk theoretical in a lot of this. So product owner comes to refine it. They can come in saying, hey, here, I really thought this out. Take a look. Is this understandable? How big is it? Can you build it? Right? So they do their homework. But let's say they did their homework and they came in and said, here's a challenge or an opportunity. What do you think? And left it open-ended. The worst case scenario is you waste a few minutes of discussion. That's the worst case scenario, right? Because they were less specific. The best case scenario, which often happens, is you get, they get an idea that they never considered that's far better than what they came up with. And the people who come up with the idea are engaged with it. Now, even if the people who came up with the idea came up with the same idea the product owner was ready to present, you still get more ownership, which is a win. 
And it's only going to take you a small number of minutes. So starting out, to me, refinement's that starting spot, right? Because that's the first contact that maybe the developers may have with the new idea. Let them generate it. We have a challenge. We have an opportunity. How do you think you want to address it? Very easy to try. You can do that today's Friday. You can do that Monday afternoon, Monday morning, if you like. They don't require any new tools, any new, any new frameworks. Just come in a little bit more open-ended. Do you mean let the smart people you hired to solve problems solve problems? Is that what you're talking? Is it knowledge worker? <laughs> that's what we're saying, right? <laughs> and I thought that's I thought that's pretty concrete, right? I mean, you get more concrete. Like I said, you know, normally people are looking for some answer in the syntax to use and which tools to use. The answers increase the collaboration patterns more and shorten the feedback loops. So if we're building stuff for the call center, what's like the measure up? Like Aaron talked about measure ups earlier. So for me, like if I have a call center, do I want the calls answered in ring one or ring 10? All, all else being equal, ring one. Do you want the calls to be short or long? Short. Do you want the customer happy or unhappy? Happy, right? I can go on and on, right? If the people can work in the call center, see what's actually happening, have these measurable goals and objectives. Work and, in the call? You mean actually understand the customer watch, watch, experience? Well, Arlen knows. You want me to die month, again? No. For, last month, for last month, I've been doing a lot of our support. Holy cow, some of our systems aren't that good, right? So what do we do? We find something that's not that good because I've been doing the support. Well, you know, student has a question and they're, okay, we better build some software tonight to solve that, right? Mm -hmm. So tighten those feedback loops. Uh, that goes a really, really long way. Once, once again, you want to know what your measure ups are to value. And then align to those. Those are your outcomes that we've talked about over and over. And ideally, people from the call center are part of the team. I might want someone who's like a newbie in the call center. I might want that 20-year experience person. I want them both. As part of the team, like Aaron talked about earlier, an example he gave, they're not on the periphery feeding in. I want them as part of the team. Now, I like the model we used to do in the very early days when it was back in e-banking. I don't want them more than four hours a day, though. If it's more than four hours a day, they're not really business people anymore or users. Right? If they're eight hours a day, they're not a user anymore. I wouldn't perform. I mentioned one other uh, little example to that point. Uh, very, very, very large bank I worked with. I, I have worked with for a long time and uh, do a lot of leadership coaching there. And one of the topics that's come up recently is a complaint from the stakeholders that basically the teams need too much time from them, right? That they get kind of an email saying, hey, congratulations, you're a stakeholder in a team. And then it turns out they're a stakeholder on, in fact, not that, just that one, but six teams. And a lot of the suggestion that I gave there was essentially, if the teams knew more about the business problem, they wouldn't have to call you as much, right? <laughs> and then they could, get, they could keep it more succinct. So I think it's, it really does come back to this. So say, keep that ownership much more local, right? Make sure that you're, you're trusting these smart people, as you say, to learn and figure things out. And then, you know, they can integrate better with the business. They can adapt locally. You can push the authority to where the information is and all these other nice things. And one thing may I add that we, we probably glossed over a little bit, but like release early and often, that's one of the benefits of Agile. Like let them, <laughs> let them, let them you, it doesn't have to be like a big, like I always do this layer cake. Like first we do all, we do the requirements and then we build it, then we test it, then we UAT it, and then we release it. Well, let's, let's just, release it as early as we can and give it to them and then get real feedback, right? I think that's the number one thing that I've noticed that the startups that I, the whole idea of minimum viable product, like 
Oh, the ultimate test is to give it to somebody and see if they can use it or if they like it. And if you can't release it all the way out, like get beta and alpha testers out there. And I think, I mean, I think people just don't understand about feed, they don't understand about feedback loops and why it's important to talk to have a because the a minimum viable product defined, because that's the out the real out, the minimum outcome, like what I can give somebody that will really make a change, right? And, and, and I think maybe the key thing people also forget is that agility, the whole point of it was to make change cheap. So if our plans aren't perfect, we can still roll with the punches, right? And still make, uh, make hay while the, the sun shines. And I think uh, the, the problem is the longer you wait for feedback, the more expensive it is, right? Exactly. Which leads a lot of companies to, to basically not even ask for the feedback in some cases, or when they finally get it three months later, it's too late to do anything with it because it's just too expensive and costly. So it's really something important to keep in mind. We're always trying to keep that cost of actually implementing an adaptation as cheap as possible speeds of the essence i like that that's a great that's a great statement guys uh we're, we're in this uh we're in a little bit of time here so let me let me ask you for closing statement right <laughs> if if arlen and david if you could give people one tip for avoiding the nightmare stories what might that what might that be collaborate oh you want a longer one <laughs> no one word's good collaborate, collaborate. How do I work through this beforehand, right? Tell me if I get it right. Um, collaboratively discover and adapt to optimize outcomes. You got it. Did you use all three syllable words? Because that was amazing. That was a, that was <laughs> a lot of big syllable words. You must be a really good consultant. <laughs> I think so. I think Fire that guy. Poetry in action. So what, yeah. what, 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 is, what does that mean? If, if we could say, say that in one or two syllable words, what would that be? <laughs> so if you think about it, we often work in a definitional approach. We presume that we're going to know upfront what's worth building, and we put all this energy into getting specific. Let's acknowledge that we're unlikely to get it right the first time, exactly right. So let's just <laughs> as we go and do it collaboratively, sure in the feedback loops. So it's Thank a group you. of people working together, short iterations to live, even or per Cynthia. If you can't get all the way live, at least get to like an app or a beta stage where you get some 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 input from people outside the team and be willing to adjust based on what you learn because you're seldom right. That is awesome. Arlen. <laughs> be willing to be wrong. I love that. Arlen. Yeah, I'd say uh, just to, to play off of that one, uh, give the team ownership of creating the backlog at some level. Don't don't figure it out all ahead of time because that kills the learning and it, and it kills the ownership, right? So bring ownership more local by ideally essentially either embedding business people in there or spending the energy to, to give the team time to learn what the heck's going on domain context, customer wise, uh, let them generate the solutions and don't lock it down too early. Right. I, I think one thing is people don't keep their options open. They say, here's a problem. Oh, and here's the obvious solution, which tends to be, well, the obvious solution and therefore the one everybody else is already doing. If, if you want any novelty or innovation at all, you need to allow enough space for a little bit of divergence before you converge. So I'd say that, right? Which also means don't have real long backlogs, right? Keep it, keep the, the big picture planning in one area. And remember the backlog is not really your plan, right? It's more the cue for the team and what they're gonna build. So you can have long-term plans and that's fine, right? But when you get down to actually building things, you need to keep that more, more fluid and more adaptive. Long-term plans or long-term goals? Well, long-term goals, let's say, and, and sometimes long-term plans, right? Truthfully, it depends on how solid your plans are. Some industries are very stable and, and mm -hmm. relatively static, and that's okay, right? Uh, having a vision of three years from now, people will be able to you know, fly to the moon or something. That's not a 
plan really, but it is, it is a vision. And I, I am a fan of long-term visions. It's just, as long as you don't believe in reality and you're willing to change them, if it ends up, you find a better one, right? That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, um, how, how, how do people come back and get in touch with you guys? How do, how do, how do we find you? So you can find us at a uh, grow-lean, right? Dot, dot com. Yeah. And uh, grow dash. Yeah. remember that there's a hyphen in there, right? So yeah. Grow, like grow lawn, but with, with a letter change, right? So grow, grow lean, grow lawn. That's right. That's right. Don't confuse them. <laughs> Are you using <laughs> you speak words or confusing? <laughs> this is Friday the 13th. Grow lean. So you're using, you're basically using lean techniques to grow your capabilities, right? Cut out the waste, cut out the process burden, cut out the excess. Just collaborate, work together for common goals and objectives, achieve great things, and have fun when you're doing it. Ooh, that's an important one. Thank like people energize. So, um, so it's grow-lean.com. Yep. And and if they wanted to to communicate, is there can they communicate with you that way yeah, or just find out information? Us there. Contact us for them. All right. Awesome. Phone number, email addresses. There you go. So you guys can track track so people can track you down. Yeah, yes. you can find us on LinkedIn to Arlen Banks and David Bulkin um, and reach out to us at Metro Leisure. We'd be happy to help you. We're very open-minded types, as hopefully you see here. So we'll make sure we, we suit things to the particulars of the situation. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Cynthia, do you have some final words? Yes, I do. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Did you know, guys, that we are on all the social media outlets, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even Tumblr, and that the video version of this podcast is going to be posted to both YouTube and our Agile World, Agile-World.news website. And if you are walking and too busy to be a talking, you can find the actual podcast version. I don't know why I can't speak. It was it's a nightmare because it shouldn't be because the podcast version is on Spotify, Apple, Google, Pocket Cast, Anchor, Breaker, and Public Radio. So tell your friends, like, if they're too busy, like this went a little long, it's okay. Listen to it while you're walking the dog, right? And if any of you have any ideas for podcast topics, you think that you're good enough to be on Agile World Better English, you can find both Steve Mowbray and myself, Cynthia Kahn, on both LinkedIn and the website, agile-world.news. <laughs> Take it away, please. Steve. All right. <laughs> Thank you all so much. Gentlemen, it was Peace great. Out. It was great seeing you guys, everybody. Give, come on, everybody, give give away, give away. Come on, David. Come on, David. There we go. There you go. Guys, you guys next TikTok? time. Huh? I didn't hear anything about TikTok. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> Got to get it out of the kit. You know what? I think that's a great idea, David. I'm looking forward to you creating a nice TikTok version for us. All right. I'm so let's, let's right get here. on it. Let's work it. Let's oh, yeah, work it. There we go. <laughs> thank you, everyone. All right. Well, thank you. Appreciate Signing it. Off. <laughs>